Thank you for listening to the Southside Sermons podcast. This message is preached from the Gospel of John, chapter 4. John chapter 4 is a pivotal text on worship in the New Testament, as evidenced by this conversation Jesus has with a woman from Samaria. If we as Christ Church ever question what true worship is, we can find Jesus explaining the answer here. What begins as a simple request by Jesus for a drink of water turns into a witnessing conversation that ends with this woman becoming a witness for Jesus and bringing many people to him. This sermon highlights the witness of worship. It is preached from John chapter 4 on July the 4th, 2021. It asks this question for a title. Why are you here? Welcome to the Southside Sermons Podcast. I am Christopher Campbell, pastor of Southside Baptist Church, located in Decatur, Alabama. This message you're about to hear is from God's Word and is offered to you with this prayer that God would give you eyes to see, ears to hear, and a heart to obey His Word. May your faith be strengthened in Jesus, and may you grow in your knowledge of Him. As we prepare to open God's Word, I want us all to reflect prayerfully upon one simple and significant question. Why are we here? What I mean is this. We were not forced to come here this morning. Better yet, we were not prohibited from coming here this morning, thank God. But each one of us came freely, exercising a freedom that we have been blessed with to spend this hour in this place for a purpose. I'm asking us this question. What is that purpose? Why are we here? As we continue in a posture of prayer, let me ask this in a more personal way now. Why are you here? For what reason have you, dear brother, dear sister, dear friend, for what reason have you gathered in this sanctuary of the Lord on this Lord's day, this Sunday? This is a question only you can answer, and in truth, one that only God can reveal. And you have permission to be honest before the Lord. He knows the truth anyway. You may say to him, I honestly don't know why I'm here. I've never thought about it. For five decades, I've never thought about it. Well, then ask and think now. Allow the Holy Spirit to examine and search and expose whatever purpose, whatever cause, whatever ambition, whatever impulse, whatever passion, whatever motivation lies in the depth of your heart. Is he revealing an answer to you? Let's pray. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any grievous way in me and lead me that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear and hearts to believe your word. 
We ask this together in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Church, I want to thank you for that important prayer and reflection this morning. And I wonder, did the Lord reveal to you an answer? Why are you here? That is an important question to answer this day and every Sunday, and it is a significant question in our text this morning. Now that we have prayerfully prepared, will you exercise your freedom with me to open up a copy of God's word to the Gospel of John? John chapter four. John chapter four. If you have a pen, a notepad, some way of taking notes, that will be helpful to you as well this morning. If nothing else, have your Bible open and follow along and see for yourself what God's word says. John chapter four. I will read in our hearing verses seven through 10. This is God's word. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. If you receive this as God's word, would you say amen? Amen. Why are you here? One important subject in John chapter four is the subject of worship, the worship of God, the true worship of God. Worship is, after all, a choice, and the great majority of God's word is given over to protecting the worship of God from corruption in any form. In fact, this is a pivotal text on worship in the New Testament. And you don't have to take my word for this because you will see it for yourself. The subject of worship will become the central focus of conversation between Jesus and this woman of Samaria. If worship is the subject of this passage, then the witness of worship might be the theme. The context, the location, the subjects involved, the conversations, the questions, the answers, the backgrounds, all reveal for us that witness and worship go together. I want us to think this morning about the witness of worship. That word, Witness is an, if it's an unfamiliar word for you, it simply means to testify, to provide information to someone else about what you know and what you have experienced. This is who Jesus said his followers 
would be. Before ascending into heaven, Jesus said in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my, there's that word, witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and to the end of the earth. If you are a follower of Jesus, if the Holy Spirit has come upon you, then you are a witness for Jesus. That is what you are empowered to be. You have experienced Jesus. You know Jesus, and your life becomes a witness for Jesus in all that you say and do. People are watching you. John chapter 4 begins with a clear setup for witness. For Jesus is positioned in a place to meet a person that is very different from him. Look with me at John chapter 4 verse 1. Now when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize, but only his disciples, he left Judea. More strongly said, he abandoned Judea and departed again for Galilee. And he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. This is how Jesus arrived at the place where this important conversation was going to take place with the Samaritan woman. He abandons Judea for Galilee. Now, geographically, Judea was in the south. Galilee was in the north. And Samaria was in between. Verse 4 tells us that Jesus had to pass through Samaria to get to Galilee. That was the more direct route to Galilee from Judea. But we know from history, it was not the only route. It is important that the Jews, it's important that we know that the Jews detested the Samaritans. The Samaritans were brought in by the Assyrians and were a mixed people, intermingled. They were not pure Jews. They are half this or half that. They were culturally different. They were theologically different. They were looked down upon by the pure Jew, and they were lost without Christ. Samaritans formed their own worship with their own priests centered upon their own mountain, Mount Gerizim, the place where Joshua had cut the covenant when Israel had first entered the land. A Jew would rarely go to Galilee through Samaria. And if he did, he would cross the Jordan, travel up through Perea, and enter Galilee a more difficult and different way to avoid Samaria. But Jesus did no such thing. Jesus went through Samaria. And our Lord shows us that being a witness 
challenges, popular passions and prejudices. Being a witness will take us to frowned upon places, upon unfavorable routes, and lead to uncomfortable conversations. Put simply, being a witness requires doing unpopular things. Why? Because being a witness is telling people that don't know what they don't know. We have to go to them. They are not coming to us. And this leads to the first intimation of our question. Why are you here? Look again at verse 7. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink, for his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. Jesus is weary from his journey, and he's thirsty. His disciples are not there to draw water for him, but this woman from Samaria, she comes to draw water. And so Jesus begins a conversation with a question, asking for a favor, give me a drink. Now notice the cultural language in her response, verse 9. The Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. This woman makes an issue of her culture, and by implication, she doesn't understand why Jesus is here. She reveals how her cultural differences had become a barrier to conversation or interaction of any kind with Jesus. And she raises up her banner, I'm a Samaritan, you're a Jew. How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a Samaritan? People who don't know Jesus are very passionate about other things that are not Jesus. That's a fact. They want to make issue and talk about other things that are not Jesus and God's gift. They want to talk about boundaries and banners that we humans have erected, that Jesus has passed through or broken down already. Jesus is not making an issue of these things. Jesus transcends this woman's cultural prejudice by answering her without any mention of what separates them culturally. Instead, he answers with an appeal to know God. Look at verse 10. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Notice, write this down, whatever you need to do. But Jesus makes the conversation all about God. That's what being a witness is for Christ. Being a witness for Jesus is making our conversation not about whatever others want them to be about, but about Jesus. Jesus reveals, notice, two things that this woman was ignorant of this lost woman, what she was ignorant of when it comes to God. First, the gift of God. Second, 
who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink. First, she did not know what it is that God offers her, a gift, that which is transferred freely by one person to another. God has a gift for her, and she knows nothing about that gift. That's not all. Second, she did not know who she was talking to. She did not know who was speaking to her. The Son of God, the Word become flesh, now weary and thirsty, but able to save her soul. Church, Jesus shows us that to witness to anything else other than Jesus Christ and the gift of God is to render our witness ineffective, confusing, false, and powerless. People don't need other things. People need Jesus and God's gift of eternal life, and they don't know about this. The lost are asking many questions. Have you not noticed? Do we as Christ's church bear any responsibility for that? Because we have given them other things to talk about? Why aren't people talking more about Jesus? Is it because we're not making much of him as we should? We do not have to answer all of the questions the lost are acting, asking to be a witness for Jesus. For in truth, the lost simply do not know two things. They do not know the gift of God, which is eternal life, and they do not know Jesus. And it is our identity as Christ's church to witness to these two preeminent things. And these two things alone, these are the only subjects Jesus raises to this woman's first question. She was ignorant. She did not know. But Jesus says, if you knew, this is, you can mark this down, the need for witness. The need for witness. If you knew. She did not know. Look at verse 11. The woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. This woman is still thinking naturally. Where do you get that living water? And she asks about a location for it. Where can this living water be found? Living water is moving water. It's not stagnant. You see, a well is a reservoir that holds stagnant water. But a spring is moving water, living, that proceeds from a source. Jesus is speaking about something that proceeds from a source, an eternal source. Look at verse 13. Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Jesus explains this to her. Underline that beautiful phrase, the water I will give him 
will become in him a spring of water. Jesus points to a new location in answer to her question of where. The answer is what I will give in you, what I will do in you. What Jesus offers is not something superficial. Jesus offers the source in you, a spring of water welling up to eternal life, which is the Holy Spirit of God in you. So many people are not satisfied because they are drinking from the wrong source. So many people are not satisfied because they are being given water from the wrong source. Look at anyone who is not satisfied, anyone who is discontented, anyone who is easily offended. They're drawing from a well of stagnant water again and again and again because their soul is thirsty. They need to be filled again and again. That's what entertainment does, doesn't it? It's temporary. It temporarily fills. Think about your favorite TV show, if you watch much TV. You watch one show of a TV season and it satisfies for a short minute and you're back at it again next week, eager to watch the next episode and be filled again. And you need to be filled again and again and again. And then the season runs out or it takes a summer break or worse, it's not renewed and your favorite TV show is canceled. Then what? Where do you turn? And you have to find another show. It's the same story on repeat and repeat for all of our life. Why are you always thirsty? Because you're drinking from the wrong source. Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. The water that I will give him, Jesus says, will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Jesus changes the location from where she could draw water from. There's this well, but Jesus has a gift of something different, a source that he can give her. Look at verse 15. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. You see, church, this woman has a willingness to receive what Jesus is offering. Give this to me. But does Jesus give it to her yet? Look at the next verse, verse 16. Jesus said to her, go call your husband and come here. Notice that. Jesus changes the subject. The woman is willing to receive, but Jesus does not give her this living water yet. Why? Because she's not ready yet to receive it. Perhaps it could be said this way. Her mind wants what Jesus is offering, but her heart is controlled by other things and has been given out to other things and cannot yet be given to him. Look at verse 17. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you are right in saying, I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. Jesus reveals the many pieces of this woman's heart and what they all have been given over to. 
five husbands. And now one that she has, but is not her husband. And Jesus reveals to her the things that are pulling at her heart or have pulled and torn at her heart. Church, I need you to hear this. Pastorally, I am deeply, deeply concerned about the things that pull at your heart. I'm deeply concerned about the things that move you. What are those things? What did the Spirit reveal as the reason that you came here? What impassions you? What enrages you? What offends you? What embarrasses you? The answers reveal what things have hold of your heart. And Jesus wants all of your heart, not part of it, because Jesus will not share it with anyone. He won't share your love, your devotion. He wants it all. Teacher, Jesus was asked, which is the great commandment in the law? And he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. Church, only when we love the Lord rightly and totally with all our being, can we then love anything else in the right way. We must prioritize our love. Our witness must prioritize our love. God does not want us to love him more. What do you mean by that, pastor? We sing the songs, more love, more power, more of you in my life. God does not want us to love him more. That's the problem that the scripture is revealing. Loving Jesus more means your love for Jesus is still shared with your love for other people and things. God does not want us to love him more. God wants us to love him most with a love that supersedes all loves, with the love of our whole heart and soul and mind and strength, and only then will we be able to love other things with a love that comes from God, with a godly love. Only God can give that kind of love. Galatians 5.22 says the fruit of the Spirit is, among other things, love. The conversation continues between Jesus and the Samaritan woman. In verse 19, the woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain. But you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Now the conversation is centered on spiritual things. Finally, a theological discussion. Jesus took something in the natural realm, water, and deliberately used it to intentionally talk about something spiritual. And now the root issue emerges. The real problem that separates the Jews from the Samaritans, and it centers upon worship. Look at verse 20. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming 
when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. Jesus is looking to the future. He speaks not of a present moment in this verse, but just of a coming day, of a coming hour when the location of worship will change. Worship looks ahead. Worship looks to the future at what is eternal and not what's passing away. Look at verse 22. Jesus says, you worship what you do not know. We worship what we know for salvation is from the Jews. In other words, this woman has worship wrong. She's ignorant concerning worship. Have we not seen in our recent preaching through 1 Corinthians that this ignorance easily, easily, easily creeps into the church? 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 16 and 17, I'll remind you, says, do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is what? Holy. And you are that temple. Jesus begins a work of ending her ignorance through witness. Salvation is from the Jews. God's salvation plan, his covenants, his worship was given to the Jews and through the Jewish people. The world would witness the true and living God. She has it wrong. And Jesus calls that out. The worship at Mount Gerizim is wrong. The Samaritan scriptures are wrong. What her people have made of worship is not, Jesus says, true worship. It's wrong. Years ago, Matt Redman wrote a song of repentance for the church called The Heart of Worship. And the song says this, I'm coming back to the heart of worship, and it's all about you. It's all about you, Jesus. I'm sorry, Lord, for the things I've made it when it's all about you. It's all about you, Jesus. Jesus is showing this woman that worship is not about a mountain. It's about him, and Jesus goes on to say that this hour is nearer to this woman than she realizes. Look at verse 23 with me. Notice the difference from verse 22. Jesus says in verse 23, but the hour is coming. What's the next phrase say? And is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. Jesus brings the future worship into the present. And only Jesus can do that. The hour is coming and is now here. How we worship now, church, is a witness for how we will worship in glory. We never do now in our worship what we will not do in glory in our worship if our worship is all about Jesus. 
True worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. Notice the phrase, true worshipers will worship. A true worshiper is just that, a worshiper of who? The Father. How? In spirit. This is the power of our worship. It's not a physical or worldly power. True worship is spiritual. How else will we worship? In truth. What does Jesus make abundantly clear in the gospel of John? Do you know? It's this, that he is the truth. Look at John 14, verse six. Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. True worship is spiritual, not worldly. And true worship is in him, in Jesus. That word for truth there in the text also has the meaning of faithful. True worship is faithful. True worship never gives to another what belongs only to God, not even for one hour. And did you know Jesus tells us that the Father is seeking true worshipers? Even now, the Father is trying to locate true worshipers in the earth. Where are they? Who worships in spirit and in truth? Where are they? Whose worship is spiritual and not representative in any way of earthly things? Where are they? Whose worship is all about my son, Jesus? Where are they? Whose worship is based on my word, which is truth? Where are they located? Where are they found who worship me, for the Father is seeking such to worship him. It's as if when we gather for worship, the Father is asking us, why are we here? And if our answer is anything other than Jesus and Jesus alone, then the Father says, you may be here, but I'm not. I am enthroned in the praises of my people who do not give to another what belongs only to me. Look at Mark chapter 12, verse 17 on the screens. Jesus said to them, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. And they marveled at him when he said that. Verse 24 of John chapter four, Jesus goes on and he explains, God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. Worship must reflect the character and nature of God. And church, God is not a Samaritan. God is not a Jew. God is not an American. Did you know that passports are useless in heaven? God is holy. God is spirit. And those who worship him must worship as he is. And those who worship him must reflect who God is and God's character and God's word. That is the witness of worship because worship is a witness. And I wanna show you this in the most supreme way. 
Write this down. True worship reveals Jesus. Look at verse 25 and 26 with me. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming. He who is called Christ, when he comes, he will tell us all things. And watch what Jesus does. Watch this closely. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. He reveals himself to her. If, if you don't see Jesus at the end of a worship service, you haven't worshiped God. Worship is a witness for Jesus because worship reveals Jesus in all of it. Jesus is God's word. Jesus reveals to us the Father. The Spirit points to Jesus and is Christ in you. The spring welling up to eternal life. What I'm trying to show you from the scriptures is it's all about Jesus. And we make no apology for that. We will not confuse that when we gather in his name. Worship is about Jesus and God's gift of eternal life. It's that simple. I'm closing now, so hang with me. I want to show you just one more thing. I could go on for a few more hours, but I won't. Look how the disciples react when they return at verse 27. It says, just then, that's right after Jesus revealed himself to this woman, his disciples came back. They marveled that he was talking with a woman, but no one said, what do you seek? Or why are you talking with her? Disciples didn't say it, but it's implied in this text what they were thinking. Lord, why are you here? Here, speaking with this woman. But he was here because she was there. He was here to witness to her about what she didn't know and what he could only reveal to her. Did you know that this woman asked the question of Jesus? Why are you here? And that the disciples asked the question of Jesus, why are you here? But I want you to hear this, all of you who have ears to hear. Jesus never asked the question of himself, why am I here? Do you ever see Jesus confused, questioning his purpose, wondering about his mission on earth? Never. Jesus knew why he was here. He came freely. He came willingly, not under compulsion, but he gave of himself, even knowing what it was that he had to do. It would have cost him everything. Jesus knew there was a problem that every person on earth had to overcome, the problem of sin. Romans chapter three, verse 23 says, for all have sinned, that includes each one of us, and fall short of the glory of God. And sin, Jesus spoke of eternal things, was an eternal problem. Romans 6, 23, for the wages of sin is death. But 
Notice the language. The free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. The free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And Jesus paid for that gift by dying in our place for our sin on the cross. He buried our sin as he was buried in the tomb. And on the third day, the scriptures tell us, he was raised again to life so that we might be transformed by his grace and walk in the newness of life by his indwelling spirit within us. Jesus knew why he was here. He came so that we might know the Father and have a relationship with him, a relationship called worship, a relationship not based on anyone or anything but Jesus and Jesus alone. An hour is coming, dear friend, when you and I will stand before the Lord upon his throne in glory. I imagine hearing that question Why are you here? And in that moment, not one thing that you've done in your life will count for anything good. No act of service, no act of honor, no association you have, no other relationship. Nothing but one answer. Why are you here? Jesus. Why are you here? Jesus and Jesus alone. I enter by his blood so that I may continue to do here, Father, what I did there by his grace. And I may worship. The gospel reveals why we are on earth by telling us what the Father seeks and making a way to be found by him. We are here to worship, and in Jesus, by his Holy Spirit, we can worship the Father in spirit and in truth as true worshipers that God makes of us. Why are you here? My answer, because he is here. He loved me. He gave himself for me. He saved me. Why are you here? Let me ask it a different way. Why is someone else not? Is our worship a witness to the worthiness of God? Is God worthy of everything we have? May God make us true worshipers, and may God make our worship a witness to Jesus and God's gift of eternal life. Thank you again for listening to this message. I pray that God would accomplish his purpose in you through the preaching, hearing, receiving, and believing of his word. If you wish to share any comments or questions about the message you have heard, please call Southside at 256-353-8814 or visit us on the web at southsidebaptist.net. Also, make sure to subscribe or follow this podcast to receive a new message each week.